0: In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear Saints, this Advent, we've been focusing on the great gift of marriage that God has given to all people. Two weeks ago, we learned what the Bible says about marriage. And then last week, we learned what the Bible says about husbands, in particular, what they owe their wives. And tonight, we learn what the Bible says about wives, what God says of them, and what they owe their husbands. God has caused his word to be clearly written in the scriptures, as 1 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. That means when we hear the words from the Bible that are going into our ears, those are the same words that came out of the mouth of our God. So with that being said, the Bible clearly says, which means our God clearly says, that the duty of the wife is to submit to her husband. I know very well how uncomfortable these words are to many, how unpolitically correct they might seem. And sadly, many will hear this and then stop listening at this point or some won't let the conversation get this far or, or hear what God has to say about his own creation. The one he made, his design, his purpose and the roles he has for male and female. But it shouldn't be this way with you, at least not uh, in, in this way. You who believe in God should delight and be interested and curious in what he has to say, and rejoice in what he has to say, even if it's difficult to bear. I think the reason so many people recoil at the word submit or submission is because the word has taken on many negative connotations. When we think of submission, according to our sinful flesh, we think of uh, oppression or being a slave under a tyrant. And this is nowadays the, what the idea of submission has almost become synonymous with misogyny, which is two words in Greek uh, meaning literally to hate women is what misogyny is. Uh, but the truth is that submission is simply order. It's what God has created. It's it's the way something is structured, the way it's designed, the way it works together. So God teaches us that the way he designed this earth, this creation and marriage and human beings in particular is for the husband to love his wife and for the wife to submit and respect her husband. In order to understand this a little better, here's an analogy that I oftentimes use to explain it. Uh, take dancing, for example. When a man and a woman dance, and they dance well, an actual dance, not just something ridiculous, there is a leader and there's a follower, right? Uh, both can't lead the dance. One, if they do, they're going to go off in different directions and they won't be dancing together for long. And both can't be followers because then they'll just stand there as the music passes by. And neither is it the woman's job to lead dance. The man in dancing. And why? When a man and a woman dance, why is it that the man leads? right? Why doesn't the woman lead any dance? Is dancing inherently misogynistic? Is it uh, hateful towards women? Does it demean them, uh, that making the, the, the man the leader of the dance? Uh, no one makes this argument, right? No one refuses to dance with a man because it's somehow hateful towards women in general. In fact, we have dancing even at weddings. And the first dance is between uh, the, the bride and the groom. In fact, we have and we see quite the opposite. The reason a man leads the woman is precisely because it is his job to make the woman look good. Everything he does is to serve the purpose and the ultimate goal to show and to say that the woman he has in his arms is the best woman, the best dancer, and it is his job to show that off. He devotes himself entirely to her. He is the only, she's the only partner he has, and he's the only partner she has, and she gladly follows. So you, you think about it. In, in dance competitions, the man dresses oftentimes in, in neutral colors. He doesn't have much to show off. But the woman is decked out. Right? She is covered in glitter, in jewelry, and clearly dressed in a more thoughtful and beautiful way. It's about her. The light is on her. And now the man's job is to lead the woman in the right steps. He spins her at the right time. He lifts her up. He supports her. He's doing all of this not to show himself off, to show how good of a dancer he is, but to show the world how beautiful, elegant, and wonderful this woman is that he has. He needs to know the dance better than she does since he is the one leading her to the next step. The man leads the woman and shows that he's trustworthy by how he leads her. It's a joy for a man to lead the woman and it's a joy for the woman to follow and to be led by the man and she would delight in finding a man who's a strong lead who leads her well. And when this happens... When the man leads well and the woman submits to his lead following his every indication, the dance is beautiful. They glide around on the dance floor and they look like they're one thing, one entity, one body, one flesh moving around. There's no division between them. He moves, she moves, he turns, she turns, he looks one way, she looks the the, the same way. The better they accept their roles, the better the dance is. Now this is how we should rejoice in marriage. And a woman should gladly take her place under the husband's authority and leadership, knowing and trusting that God has placed him there to lead her and to serve her. Just as the entire church submits to Christ and lets him lead, so too this is a picture of the wife submitting to her husband and letting him lead. And when a woman submits to her husband, she's the one who greatly benefits from this. So how do you do it? What is the way that a woman submits to her husband? The way she does it is not by doing the right things in marriage, but by believing the right things. She should trust him. If the Eighth Commandment calls us to put the best construction on others, how much more does it tell you to put the best construction on your husband who is your own flesh? The wife is to believe the best about her husband, not because he's objectively the best man in the world. She believes the best about her husband because she believes that it was God who put them together, who decided to give you that specific man to be your husband. Your wedding day was not your decision. It was not the husband's decision. It was not the wife's decision. It was God's decision. What God brings together Right? Let no man put asunder. This is his work, his doing. It's as if to say, look, uh, the, the woman should think like this. Look, I know, I know my husband has his failures and his shortcomings. I know he struggles in so many ways to lead his family well. He's forgetful. He's weak. But this is the husband God gave me. God chose this husband for me. And since my husband is a gift from God, then I will delight in him all the more. So, wives, if you change your thinking about your husband, if you change your mindset to this mindset and belief, then the word submit is no longer a four letter word to you. The earthly husband might not be the greatest man in the universe, worthy of all the honor and he might not even be perfect, a shocker there. Your husband may have even failed miserably in the past, failed to love, failed to care, failed to be patient and kind. You may come from a family that is just as noble or more noble than his, just as rich or richer than his. And you may be just as smart and intelligent or even more intelligent than he is. But none of this nullifies or takes away God's word here today. These statements he makes are not conditional. No matter the circumstance, it doesn't change the truth. Even though your husband may fail, Christ has not. Even though your husband may not be perfect, Christ is, and so is his forgiveness that he won on the cross for both of you, for every person. And you forgive and love and respect your husband, not because he earned it somehow, but because Christ in his infinite wisdom gave him to you and loves you. This is God's doing. Now, I'm fully aware that submission is all well and good when things go well and good. But when there are difficulties and troubles, this is where it becomes difficult. And understand this well. Just as the command to husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church is not a conditional statement, neither is this statement to wives conditional. These words don't suddenly become unclear in, t- in, in difficult times. It's just that it's harder for wives to accept them. When the scriptures say that a woman is to submit to her husband in all things, the scriptures are assuming rightly that you and your husband will disagree. God said that this would happen right at the fall when he tells the woman And your desire, when he tells Eve, your desire will be contrary to your husband. It means that your wills and your desires from two totally different backgrounds and lives are going to clash and they're going to conflict at times. And this is where love and submission is seen most clearly. God has called the husband to do what is most loving and beneficial for his wife all the time. And the wife is called to submit to her husband in the same way. You see, God hasn't called wives to agree in all things with their husbands, but to submit to them in all things. So things, this means, things won't always go the wife's way. But God has called her to trust the husband that he chose to give her and to submit to him as she submits to God. And she is to trust that her husband will love her as Christ loves the church. Things don't go well when wives oppose their husbands. It's an unhappy marriage and resisting the authority that God gives them. If you want a very clear example of this, you go back to Genesis chapter 3 and you see uh, you don't have to go any further than the Garden of Eden in the first few chapters of the Bible. Adam instructed Eve. He told her, don't go near that tree. Don't even touch that tree. Of the knowledge of good and evil. But then Eve refused to listen to Adam. And then she did it. And what she should have done. Was she should have gladly submitted to his will and his words. Knowing that what Adam said was out of love for her. But it was the devil who puts it in her mind. Who tempts her to disobey these words. To ultimately disobey and think that these uh, words are somehow oppressive or manipulative. Or a way to withhold some joy from her. And then you see where it brought her. She fell into sin. And she, being the woman that she wasn't, fell into sin. And Adam, being the man he wasn't, followed her. And he turned the wife away from her husband and then brought them down together. So to ignore the word of God and to rebel against your own husband is a very, very serious thing. We should not take it lightly at all. Now, with this being said, there is a time when a woman, a wife should disobey her husband and oppose him. And that is when he requires her to sin or to do anything contrary to the word. Then at that moment, she is given the authority by God Himself to correct him, to support, I mean, to to oppose him, and then support him in doing good, to teach him what God's Word says. We pray uh, that that this isn't the norm for the husband, for the man. Uh, It's the man's job to study the Scriptures and lead his family in this way. But when he messes up, and he will, the wife is given then authority by God to correct him. Now wives, when it comes to submission, you shouldn't view this ordinance and command of God as somehow that God thinks less of you, that he's opposed to you, or that he's against you. He loves you. He loves women. He invented them. He created them. And he said it was good. And he created females and he deeply and profoundly loves and he spills all his blood for all of you. And for that reason, he's given a man to care for you. That means when you render obedience to your husband, you render obedience to God because it was God who told you to do this for your husband. So, women uh, and wives, how are you to prepare yourself for marriage? Not only to enter into marriage, but to be in a marriage. Well, you listen to the words of Peter And you know that clothing and makeup and jewelry are fine outward things at times. But true beauty is found when you adorn yourself with faith and good works. Submission is a wife's ultimate expression of love and service to her husband and the ultimate expression of faith in God. To submit to your husband is an act of trust. You're trusting God. You're trusting His words. And when you adorn yourself with self-control in body and words and life, you make yourself beautiful beyond measure. The wife is most, the woman and the wife is most beautiful when she loves God's word, when she adorns herself with chastity and kindness and loving her children, desiring more of them, dressing with modesty, not tarnishing her image through vanity and gossip and bickering. A woman is most beautiful when she's not cunning or deceitful or a Problem starter or envious of others. Rather, she is most beautiful when she lives quietly and in peace with others. And let your husband's heart rely completely on you. Bring him love his whole life through and cast sorrow and the works that bring it far from you. Listen to what he says and joyfully do what he asks. Live together in the fear of God, in love and peace. And quietness, and life will be so much easier, and the troubles that come with marriage will be easier to bear. This, women, is how you make yourself beautiful before the eyes of God, and the eyes of man. Proverbs thirty-one says, "Whoever finds a good, uh, who finds a wife, finds a good thing, and obtains favor from God." And Proverbs 18 says, A man's greatest treasure is his wife. She is a gift from the Lord. All right, now as we close up this series on marriage, husbands, and wives, what does all of this have to do with God? Well, this is the image that Christ wanted to use to show you what he thinks of you. Christ doesn't imitate our marriages. our failures, our sin. Rather, our image our marriage are to our marriages are to imitate Christ and his church and his perfect love for her and the church's perfect submission to him. It shows the wonderful mystery of how God looks at And considers us. So I'm going to close with these words, but listen carefully, so you don't miss why God speaks to us in this way. And He says that this is a picture of of, of a profound mystery. The marriage and the wedding is a picture of the profound mystery of the relationship between God and the church. For those of you who are married, your wedding day was the most wonderful day of your life. It was the greatest day of my life. It's a day you wait for, you prepare for your entire life. You think about, you have it in your mind, and you wish you could replay that over and over again, live that moment again. But on that day, after everything is set in place, all of the details are up, everyone gathers in together just to watch this thing happen. Everyone knows what's going to happen. They know, they know it's not, not going to be any surprises, but they love to see it over and over again. They love to relive that moment and see how beautiful it is before their eyes. That's why we go to weddings often, so often. Uh, we know what's going to happen, but we want to see this again. This is a wonder in the making. When the music starts playing and everyone's eyes are on the bride, and rightfully so, everyone is looking at how beautiful and gorgeous she is how a man is about to dedicate his entire life until death to this one woman. That's how special she is. You see her walk away from a life of solitude and towards her groom who is waiting to give her everything he has, everything his, he owns, his own name he's ready to give to her. And you see this wonderful look on her face as she walks down the aisle. But what people oftentimes don't see is the look that is on the man's face, the groom. I mean, she sees it. Her eyes are on him the entire time. But in that same moment that everyone is looking at her, her eyes are fixed on him and his eyes are fixed on her. And he stands at the altar and he looks back and he beholds his bride. His His eyes are filled with joy and his heart skips a beat and his face is filled with delight the moment he beholds her. And he's filled with an inexpressible joy because the one he has longed to have and to hold in his arms is finally here. The waiting is over. The joy is overwhelming. And that, dear saints, is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. That is what the end of this world The end of this life will be like for you. That is what it will be like when Christ brings you into his kingdom to live with him forever. Isaiah chapter 62 says, As the bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. This is what it will be like when your God saves you from all sin, death, and loneliness. And makes you his forever. When he gives you everything he owns. When he gives you his name. That is what it will be like when God beholds you in all the splendor and righteousness of Christ. That he clothed you in and prepared you for in that day. What it will be like for you when you see his face at last. Hear the words of this hymn before closing. There shall we see in glory our dear Redeemer's face. The long-awaited story of heavenly joy takes place. The patriarchs shall meet us, the prophet's holy band. Apostles, martyrs greet us in that celestial band. In that fair home shall never be silent music's voice. With hearts and lips forever we shall in God rejoice. While angel hosts are raising with saints from great to least, a mighty hymn for praising the giver of the feast. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.